All right. Hello. This is breaking the monolith with speed and style. Pager huge dollar. 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 This was a very familiar sound to me. Pager goes off. It's the middle of the night. And I had learned that my network connection between my data center and the cloud had been saturated. We were in the midst of one of the most ambitious migrations of my career. I was working at Netflix at the time, building out some of their streaming infrastructure. We were moving from monolith to microservices. We were moving from the data center to the promise of the cloud. And we were using immutable infrastructure before we had the term immutable infrastructure. And oh, of course, to add to this, we were also moving off of our large relational Oracle database onto NoSQL, all at the same time. I learned a lot that year. I learned how AWS works. I learned how to migrate with zero downtime. I also learned how to break apart a monolithic architecture into cloud-based microservices. And most importantly for this talk, I learned the importance of using observability and how to use logs and metrics to do work. Little did I know that these lessons all the way back in 2010 would help me with many, many more migrations going forward. Hi, my name is Bruce Wong, and I'm a director of engineering at Stitch Fix. And, we, and I have lived through a ton of migrations at multiple companies. This is Nithika Daga. She's a superstar developer uh, at Stitch Fix, who will also be presenting today. In that year, I got really, really good at migrations. In many ways, I felt like I had developed a, a mastery of migrations. Not just any migrations, ones with zero downtime, that were incremental, and that were done very quickly. But before we get started, that's enough about me. I'd like to know a little bit about you. How many people have ever gotten paged? All right, most of the audience. There's the engineers in the room. How many people have ever caused an outage? There's the senior engineers in the room. All right, last one, last one. How many people have ever caused an outage that cost your company more money than your annual salary? There's all the architects. <laughs> all right, so let's set some goals for today's talk. The goal of today's talk is threefold. First goal is to teach you a little bit about how to do an incremental, fast migration, okay? The next goal is to understand the role that observability plays in this type of work. And lastly, how to do all of this type of work with zero downtime. But before we dive in, I want to talk a little bit about Stitch Fix and how we got here. How many people have ever heard of Stitch Fix? All right, more than I thought. How many people actually shop with us? Good looking people. <laughs> All right, so for those of you who don't know, Stitch Fix is a company that is about online personal styling, okay? We help you find clothes that you like. I like to think we're in the business of helping you find that next favorite. On the other hand, we also help you find clothes that you didn't even know you liked. 
And so perhaps it's that new set of jeans or perhaps that, that new shirt that you would have never tried on your own that you end up lo loving. That's what this is about. Our CEO and founder, her name is Katrina Lake. And, she, and our company was recently featured on the cover of Fast Company as one of the most innovative companies. Katrina is also the youngest woman to have ever founded an IPO at a billion dollar business. But things don't always start that way. Like all great startups, they start small. They start scrappy. Stitch Fix was started in Katrina's apartment. And eventually, she hired a consultant company to build a website. Thus, our monolith was born. And eventually, she hired an engineering team. And that grew and grew and grew. We needed more developers to build more features. And therefore, we needed more services. And so today, we're in this in-between state. We're in an in-between state between monolith and microservices. We still have a monolithic database. This is the first database that those consultants made uh, years ago. And I like to say that this is the technical debt that got us here. All successful companies have some form of technical debt, and this is ours. And so with that, I'd like to invite up Nithika, who's going to take us through our, our story today, the playbook we developed, and some of the lessons we learned. Great. Thanks, Bruce. I'm going to start this story on February 22nd, 2019. That afternoon, during regular business hours, I ran a command that dropped three tables containing every single row of data we have about the inventory we carry at Stitch Fix. Let me say that again. I dropped these tables. In theory, this is an engineer's worst nightmare, like a horror story you read about on a Reddit thread. But I dropped those three tables, and nothing broke. It's because dropping these tables was the culmination of a several months long project to extract all of our style data from that monolith into a microservice. Over that time, we didn't schedule a single hour of downtime. Now, how did we make such a foundational change to our infrastructure with such confidence and minimal disruption? The answer was observability. Because we incorporated observability into every single step of this process, we were never unsure of what would happen when we pushed out a change, and that final step of dropping the tables was kind of a non-event. And that's a huge deal, because making that switch from a monolith to a microservice can sometimes feel like pulling a tablecloth out from under this beautifully set table. All of your dishes and flowers are the apps and various business processes that run your business. And when you pull that database out from under them, you hope everything will be in the right place and in one piece when you're done. But you just don't really know. And even if you think you've covered all of your bases and done everything exactly right, if you don't have observability into the entirety of your systems, one broken piece can cause a domino effect across your entire ecosystem. Now, before I dive into the specific steps we took to achieve this outcome, I want to touch on some of the goals and business constraints that informed our approach. For us at Stitch Fix, that first constraint was zero downtime. Now, this migration touched every single piece of our business, including our customer-facing sites. And like most global e-commerce businesses, ours is a 24-7 operation. So we couldn't exactly go into maintenance mode because that would mean missing out on those valuable customer interactions. Our second goal was that absolutely no loss of data was acceptable. 
Like Bruce mentioned, data is really at the core of what Stitchfix does, and it's a big part of what's made us such a successful business. This set of data, again, it was style data about every piece of inventory we carry at Stitchfix, is especially important because it's what enables us to send clients the best possible inventory personalized just for them. So given that zero downtime and zero loss of data were our goals, we decided that an incremental delivery was the best way to approach this project. Small incremental changes allowed us to spread out the risk to our systems and also made it easier to roll back this migration just a step if we ever needed to. Given that zero downtime and zero loss of data were the goals we set out with for this project and an incremental delivery was the strategy we settled on, this is the plan we came up with for this data extraction. Now, I know there's a lot here, and I'll dive into each of these steps in much more detail, but first let me run through them at a really high level just to let you all know where we're going. So first, we began dual writing the data to the tables in the monolith as well as copies of those tables in the microservice. This step also involved copying all of that historic data that wasn't actively being updated into the microservice as well. Second, in application code, we dual read the data from both the monolith database as well as the microservice and compared the results of the two in order to ensure the integrity of that data. Think of this as a continuous integrity check on the data over time instead of all at once. Next, we migrated Stitchfix's entire suite of apps onto that new service. In our case, this ended up being more than 30 apps. Finally, once everything was validated and migrated, we ran one last audit to make sure that there were no direct SQL accesses to the monolith, and finally switched a few configuration switches we had set up to stop reading from the monolith altogether, which then prepared us to drop those tables. I want to quickly contrast this with the more traditional way of doing this kind of migration. Usually, you would take your app or site down, copy all of that data over to the microservice in one shot, run a one-time integrity check on every single row in those tables to make sure it was all accurate, deploy the change to start reading from that new data source, and then if all of that goes perfectly, bring your app back up and resume business operations. Now, like I mentioned, that way didn't really work for us at Stitch Fix given our constraints. So instead, we did this migration in a much less disruptive and much more continuous and iterative manner. Now I'll tell you how. So again, that first step was dual writing. Here, we hooked into our system's active record code so that any time there was a write or an update or a delete in the monolith tables, that action was followed by the same action in the microservice tables. Now, that order is really important. Again, we were writing to the monolith first and the microservice second, because this meant that the data in the monolith was still the source of truth for this data. We used that same active record hook to copy over all of the historic data that wasn't actively being updated over to the microservice as well. I do want to call out that we consciously made the decision to maintain two copies of this data for several months, which did come with its own carrying cost, because this enabled us to roll back this migration at any point if we saw things go wrong. It would be a safe and easily reversible change, because we had continued to maintain this data up to date in the monolith. Now, because we hooked into existing write logic, we could copy this data over to the microservice without any scheduled downtime. This is a decision we made in order to avoid the more traditional route of taking your app down in order to pause writes. Copying that data over is sort of a snapshot in time, and then bringing your app back up and resuming writes to that new data source. 
We also made this decision to do a more gradual migration of this data, given the scale of the data we are talking about. If you think about it, the amount of downtime you would need to schedule is directly correlated with how much data you're talking about. And given the scale we're operating at at Stitch Fix, that amount of downtime just wasn't feasible for us. In terms of observability, we published a data dog metric for every dual write failure and success. And we could watch as we drove those number of failures down to zero, which is our definition of done for this step. For each of these steps, it was really important to have a concrete definition of done, so we would quickly know when we were ready to move on to the next part of the process. And that's why we want zero is in, these title, in the title of these graphs, as well as that big red number. Now, these dashboards also provided a really valuable feedback loop where we could see our rate of failure really clearly and at a glance, deploy a change, and then see how the rate of failure would change in response. Now clearly, based on all the red on this graph, you can see we started with some failures in dual writing. But because we chose to do this extraction in such a gradual and iterative way, remember, nothing is actually reading from this microservice data yet. We could fail safely in production until we had resolved these bugs causing the failures and get to a 100% success rate. Which brings me to the next step, which was dual reading. Here, we used a library that let us run what we call experiments. In an experiment, we ran two code paths in parallel, one with the old way, which was reading from the monolith, and one with the new way, which is reading from the microservice. We ran these two code paths in parallel and compared the results of the two, while only returning data from the monolith for any downstream business logic. In other words, any reads or accesses to the microservice could be considered shadow reads, because again, we weren't actually using them for any business logic. Instead, we were only using them for observability. We would publish a data dog metric around whether the data between the two sources matched or mismatched. Now, in this case, a match was exact equivalence, and a mismatch was anything else. This served as a kind of incremental and continuous integrity check of the new source of data so that we could safely validate it without risking any of our business operations or showing bad data to users. Now, to quickly tie this back to the previous step, Dual writing enabled us to roll back this migration at any point in the process. Dual reading gave us the observability we needed to know if we ever actually had to make that decision to roll back. Again, dual reading over the course of several months let us safely fail in production without affecting our users. Because we continued to only return the data from the monolith, which at this point is still the source of truth for this data, um, we could spend the time debugging and correcting any mismatches kind of over the course of regular sprint work instead of having to treat it as an incident or an outage or something that needed our immediate attention. This kind of continuous integrity check over time let us avoid the more traditional and computationally expensive one-time check of the data. And again, we set up a Datadog dashboard that gave us at-a-glance visibility into the progress we had made in this step and we could watch as we drove the number of mismatches down to zero over time, which was that concrete definition of done and when we knew we'd be ready to move on to the next step. Uh, it's important to note that close to zero mismatches was not good enough in this case. Given the scale of the data, it was really tempting to move forward once we had gotten down to just a handful of mismatches, but given that we had set out to achieve this migration, with no loss of data, we made sure we got to zero and actually monitored that state for a while before moving on to the next thing. Again, this dashboard provided another valuable feedback loop where we could see the rate of mismatches, deploy a change, and then see how that rate of mismatches changed in response. 
This kind of observability and dashboard also served as a really great way for us to communicate to our business partners and other engineering teams that we were being responsible about this migration and doing our due diligence. And that kind of communication was really important, especially when it came to this next step, which was migrating StitchFix's entire suite of apps onto this new service. Like I mentioned, we ended up migrating more than 30 apps onto the new microservice. And it was really important to us to do this in a safe and responsible way, especially given that we were often visitors in other teams' code bases. As important as observability was in this previous two steps, it was doubly important here because it served both as a way for us to validate our own work, as well as a way to communicate to an app's owners the effects our change, changes would have. Now, we incorporated observability into every single part of this migration step. The first part was to identify where in code an app would be actually accessing these monolith tables. So we added metrics and logs tagged with exactly the file name and the line of code where these accesses were happening. This served as a much more comprehensive alternative to simply grepping a code base and sifting through to find those database accesses and hoping you caught them all. We avoided that guesswork altogether by having these really specific metrics that we could look, take, take a look at at a glance and know where we had to make our changes. This dashboard also served as that concrete definition of done because this list would go to zero as we migrated all of these accesses off the monolith and onto the microservice. Second, we used that same experiment library that we used in the dual reading step to validate the data served by the microservice from the consuming app's point of view. Again, we ran two code paths in parallel, one with the old way, here on the slide in green, reading from the monolith, and one with the new way, here on the slide in white, reading from the microservice, and compared the results of the two data sources while only returning data from the monolith. Because we had already kind of validated the data accuracy in the previous step, this step was less about that and more about making sure that the data was returned in the way the consuming app expected it to be formatted. And similarly, we had a similar dashboard where we could track those matches versus mismatches and watch those mismatch metrics go down to zero as we fixed our data. Again, this kind of dual reading let us fail safely in production without breaking an app's domain or showing bad data to the users. And at the risk of repeating myself, it provided a really valuable feedback loop where we could see how often we were failing, deploy a change, and then see how that rate of failure changed in response often dramatically, as in the case of this graph. One thing that's really important to call out about this kind of feedback process is that it was really important that we made small incremental changes so that any time a change was deployed, we knew exactly what changed caused this result in the graph. In other words, we changed one thing at a time so that we could know why we were seeing the results. And another really great feature of this library that we use is that it also let us track the, track the latency of the old way versus the new way. So here, the latency of reading from the monolith is in blue, and the latency of reading from the microservice is in purple. Now, obviously, performance of a new service is always a concern, and this kind of observability let us build confidence in the performance of the service in addition to the confidence we had been building in the data accuracy. This let us exactly quantify what the performance impact of our changes would be and let us communicate that to the teams that owned the apps and made sure it was well within their performance tolerance. And all of this was validation we did before we made that call to stop reading from the monolith and only read from the microservice for these consuming apps. But because we did all of this validation work upfront, every time we had to make this call, 
it kind of felt like a non-event. And because we ended up having to do it at least 30 times, it was something that we got really good at by the end. Once we had migrated all of the consuming apps onto the microservice, we had one last audit step before starting to flip the configuration switches that would prepare us to drop those tables. Here, we used Datadog's Postgres APM to track down any accesses to the table that were happening in raw SQL outside of active record code. This step was kind of like running a fine-tooth comb through our code bases. We were really confident that we weren't accessing the, those tables in any active record code because of all of the observability incorporated into the previous steps, but we needed this audit to build up that last bit of confidence. It's worth calling out that we did actually end up catching one or two accesses in this step, and that raw SQL is often the hardest to migrate since you can't join against two data sources, especially if one is being served by a microservice. But the step was really important because without this audit, these accesses would have broken if we had moved on to the next step. Now, I want to quickly recap what we've done so far before we move on to the final two steps. All of the work until this point served as a way for us to build confidence in the integrity and performance of the microservice. We had copied the data over via dual writing, validated that data via dual reading, and then migrated an entire suite of apps onto that new service. Now it was time for us to start flipping the switches that would allow us to stop reading from the monolith altogether and be prepared to drop the tables. Okay, we're almost there. Now, the whole point of a switch is that it can be safely flipped back with minimal disruption and a minimal amount of effort. So these steps were designed with that in mind. And when I say a switch, what I specifically mean is a configuration, so something like an environment variable or a feature flag uh, that a developer can use to change the code path an app will follow without actually changing the code itself. So in this pseudocode example, a developer could change the value of that environment variable at the top, which in turn would change the code executed in production. These kind of small, incremental, and reversible behavior changes allowed us to de-risk this part of the process. So first, we needed to flip the order in which writes were happening. If you remember, we were writing to the monolith first and the microservice second. We flipped a config that allowed us to start writing to the microservice first and the monolith second. This served as kind of the official marker that the microservice was now considered the source of truth in this data, for this data and that we had enough confidence in it. During this time, we did continue to dual read from both data sources to ensure that data integrity was ma maintained. After all, a switch is meant to be easily flipped back if needed, and we wanted that observability to tell us if we ever had to make that change to flip it back and get back to a good state. After we let this state, uh, we monitored this state for a week or two before flipping a second switch to stop reading from the monolith altogether. Again, all of the work we had done until this point gave us the confidence that the data being returned from the microservice was accurate and that the service was performant. And by adding this series of switches that we could flip over time, we spread out any risk to our systems and always had the option of flipping a switch back if we needed to get back to a good state. Again, these steps all happened over the course of several weeks of monitoring, which is contrasted to a short maintenance window where all of it has to happen at once, and you'd have to start all over again from scratch if something went wrong. We continued to have visibility into our systems during this step by publishing a Datadog metric for every read from the Monolith RDS instance, which gave us this really satisfying drop-off when we flipped that second switch to stop reading. 
In addition, it also gave us the confidence we needed that absolutely no application logic was touching this data source. Again, we monitored this stage for about a week before moving on to the final step. And this is the step we've all been waiting for. Now, so obviously the story I told at the beginning of my talk was a little contrived. I purposefully ran that command to drop those tables and had full confidence when I did so. This is the part where all of our hard work paid off. We were able to drop these tables in the middle of the day on a Friday, no less, without disrupting any business operations. Of course, we had a backup plan and could have always restored a snapshot if things went south, but all of the work we had done up until this point ensured that we didn't have to. Now, there isn't any exciting observability technique or strategy incorporated into this last step, but I will tell you, it felt really good to see these Datadog logs pop up and know that we had done it. We dropped those tables and there was no outage, no one got paged, and it was time to celebrate. To recap, these are the steps we followed to incrementally extract data from a monolith to a microservice and migrate an entire suite of apps onto that service without incident, almost. Now, obviously incidents are a regular part of software development and observability can help debug during those incidents. But the point I wanna make is that observability, when proactively incorporated into your regular design and development process, can actually help prevent some of those incidents. Each of these steps that I outlined has observability incorporated into them to that end, so that at any given point, we would know exactly where to look when we deployed a change, and we always knew exactly how much progress we had made in the migration. When broken up into these small, discrete steps, I hope that a change to your systems that maybe feels too risky or big to tackle feels a little bit more digestible and safe and like something your teams can do without disrupting your business. And to reiterate, incremental changes was the strategy we used to achieve our two goals, zero downtime due to the 24-7 nature of our business and zero loss of data due to how integral to our business this data was. For you, these constraints might look different, and that'll inform how you do this kind of migration. But I wanna emphasize that you can do this kind of migration without taking your app down and going into maintenance mode. So to bring it back home, if you remember this slide, microservice extractions can sometimes feel like pulling a tablecloth out from under this beautifully set table. A really big foundational change where it feels like there's a million different things that can go wrong, and that can be really scary. However, if you incorporate observability into every step of the migration, it can be something your teams can do with a high degree of confidence. So as you all start to go plan your next data extraction, I hope you feel that like with some Datadog, some RDS, and just a little bit of strategy and planning, you can pull this off. Thank you. I'm gonna hand it back over to Bruce to wrap things up. Thanks, Thanks, Nithika. That was great. Give her another hand of applause. So now I'm gonna cover some of the benefits and the next steps that we took. So first off, this project was the first of many. There's a lot of data in that database. And so we have a number of different services that are getting extracted over the, the coming quarters. One of the benefits of having this done now is now not only do we have a playbook, we actually have a validated playbook that we know works. And so one of the things we also did 
was we codified that. And so you heard a few mentions that Nithika mentioned about libraries that we've written. So there are entire generalized li set of libraries to do this work. So the things like um, how the switches work, things like the metrics and the observability that's needed. And of course, we have our Datadog dashboards that are saved and uh, you can, we can, all teams can use those as well. Um, and so that's one of the things that, that's, that's interesting is that we have a first success story and now every team can now continue to do their work incrementally with zero downtime and concurrently. So we have multiple different microservice extractions actually happening all concurrently at the same time. And that brings me to, I wanna talk about why we do this and put this in kind of greater, a greater picture. So we're a data company. I like to say that we, we have a lot of data scientists to enable us, that we, and we happen to sell clothes. We're a personalization company. So let's talk about clothes a little bit. The sizes of clothes, small, medium, and large, right? How many people think I'm a medium? All right. <laughs> no fooling you guys. Small? Tough crowd. Y'all probably think I'm large, right? Y'all are re very realistic. The answer is actually that uh, I am actually a small, medium, or large, depending on the brand. So depending on the brand of clothes, it actually determines which size I need to buy. But the thing is, as a person, I don't actually care whether it's small, medium, large. I actually just want my clothes to fit me well. And so for us, when a machine looks at size, the size of clothes, small, medium, and large is just the label that goes on the tag. What we actually look at, what our machines actually look at, are measurements and are, and are much more uh, fine-grained and granular. So for example, like, take sleeve length, right? You have sleeveless, you have full-length sleeves, you have short sleeves. Uh, for some fashionable people, like there's three-quarter length sleeves. But really, it's really about centimeters and inches, right? And so for size for us, we look at the, the measurements of a piece of clothing and the ratio between those things. And that gives us a greater set of featureization to feed our machine learning and algorithms. Another facet of this is style. So do you like solid colors? Do you like stripes, polka dots, right? And these, combined with the, uh, with the size information and our style information, we've actually developed a state-of-the-art recommendation system so that we can provide the a human stylist with a curated set of uh, inventory that we know that, that, that will fit clients and they'll probably like as well. One of the other cool things that this, this data allows us to do is actually buy clothes. So this shirt, is actually a Stitch Fix algorithm designed cert. Okay, this is a, you can only buy this on Stitch Fix. It's a brand called Zero One Algo. Okay, and what this the design of this shirt was the machine learning algorithm actually looked and discovered a gap in our inventory. They discovered gaps in our inventory. So they discovered that polo shirts were sold really well, but they also discovered that. Uh, shirts with a stretchy material actually also sold really well. And we detected that we didn't have any polo shirts made of that material. 
And so therefore, we had a high conf degree of confidence to go design, have the shirt designed, made, and sold. And by the way, this happens to be one of my favorite shirts. And so as we extract more and more data from our monolith, this actually unlocks our ability to iterate on our data. We iterate on our data, adding more features to that data, more, more vectors, uh, and so that we can take more and more advantage of machine learning across our business. So if any of these stories are interesting to you or those images are, I invite you to check out what we call the algorithms tour. This is an entire animated experience that we've built on how we talk about, how we think about data and some of the cool problems that we're solving at Stitch Fix. The way you can get there is multithreaded.stitchfix.com. Our blog is there, the algorithm tour, and of course, we're hiring as well. So just to recap today's talk, I hope that you've learned how to do an incremental and fast migration. I hope that you also understand the criticality and the role that observability plays in this type of work. And of course, I hope you understand how to do this with zero downtime. If there's one thing that you take away from today, confidence, speed, and safety are unlocked by greater observability. And with that, I have about 10 minutes, and we can take about five-ish five questions uh, about this talk.